It's all right, you're safe. You're safe. We got you. We're here. I'm on fire. Okay. It's all right, you're not on fire. I knew it, you're lying. I'm burning. There is no fire. Come back here. But something looks wrong. I mean, he's running around like, like he's on fire. Oh, my God, help me. I don't want to die. Oh, stop, stop and roll. You're not on fire, Ricky Bobby. I'm on fire. You're not on fire. But I'm not even sure he even knows where he's at right now. This makes us all realize the kind of pressure these drivers are under. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of Muskies on Tap. I'm your host, Gus Manti, and we got our boy Rowan Stam on. And this is an awesome interview. Uh, all of us fellows had a blast interviewing him. We chopped it up a whole bunch about fly fishing, you know, a couple fly tactics, uh, types of flies to use. Talked a little bit about conventional fishing as well. And all the boys are on it. So hopefully everybody enjoys this one. And we're just going to roll with the interview right away. So here's the interview with Rowan Stam. All right, everyone, we're here with Rowan Stam of RHS Guide Service. Max and I were just able to get in the boat with Rowan, so uh, we're having him here on the podcast tonight. So, Rowan, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Cold and a little damp still from fishing today. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I saw that you <laughs> went out, you crazy man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fruitless again. Yeah, what was it today? Like how uh what were the temps and such? Uh Madison Chain was at 36 water temps and uh 36 air temps. So pretty hmm. even across the board there. Not too bad. 36.2 in one spot. Are they all stacked in the warm water? All stacked in the warm water. <laughs> Rowan, I uh I saw you since we're on muskies on tap here. I saw you just start hammering a bush light, but you also had like a cup going. So are you just kind of working a cocktail and the bush light there? Or yeah, like, what are we yeah working I'm working with here? The, the maker's mark on the rocks in the in the coffee mug, and then uh, yeah, then I've got about three bush lights sitting here next to me throughout the podcast. <laughs> that ain't bad, right there. A little bit of sleep juice. Yeah, warm up. No, I mean, I was like, right when we got onto your boat on Saturday, you just had the bottle of makers there and we're like, all right, a few nips to get the day going and start her out. So I wanted to kind of dive right into like, you know, your, your setup. So, um, I think one of the cool things when we got on the boat was just like your boat, honestly, and not used to fishing out of that type of type of rig. So you kind of just want to give the people a rundown on like, what your guide service entails, what you're fishing out of, what you're kind of doing down there. Cause I think it's a pretty cool, unique uh, gig you got. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm running the rivers and in, in kind of South central to Southern Wisconsin, a little bit, a little bit North occasionally. And uh, to do that, you got to go through a lot of pretty skinny, nasty water with obstacles as we found out when I ran into several logs. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so to do that, I've got a, uh, Alumnicraft, uh, 1860 
uh, prop tunnel hall with a with a jack plate, no one fifteen Yami. So then she gets gets up on plane real fast. I can crank that motor up into the tunnel hall and run real shallow. Nice. So you kind of you know I don't know if you'd classify yourself as like a river rat. But what kind of drew you to fishing rivers over like your typical just standalone lakes down there? Well, growing up um, up at the cabin in uh, Hayward, we'd go out and fish the river a lot because that's where the the cabin was. We'd go wade and throw twitch baits and behind rocks and catch muskies, and that was always intriguing. And you never saw anyone, so that's that's kind of the main draw. Is it's really easy to get away from people and that's pretty difficult to do in the rest of Southern Wisconsin. It's a, a lot of high pressured fisheries. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I, I like the river river game. It kind of opened up our eyes. Like we've talked on this podcast that we like, we really enjoy when we do fish rivers, but we don't do it enough. So I had a, I had a good time kind of learning, learning from you a little bit. And I mean, you're obviously a young guy, like you and Gus are around the same age and, I've talked to Gus about this, but like, you know, being a younger guide, like, has that been, has that like presented any challenges? What are you 20? You said you're 23 turning 24 here next week or something like that. Yep. 24 next week. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, being new in, in musky guiding is always going to be challenging. Just drumming up business, especially uh, post COVID when everything's kind of slowed down. But, uh, yeah, you definitely, you get some looks from the, the older guard, you know, <laughs> like, who's this guy? What's he doing? He doesn't know anything, but, I mean, uh, you've been doing it for a while though. I mean, you, yeah, I mean when, when did you start guiding? Uh, I started guiding in 2021. Okay. And, uh, but I've been musky fishing since I was just a little, little feller. A tight. But yeah yeah i caught my first one when i was two and a half oh jeez <laughs> how's that possible <laughs> yeah on a snoopy rod there you go <laughs> like the strongest kid alive yeah <laughs> i think the exact words were dad dad i got one yeah <laughs> was it a behemoth uh yeah a, a whopping 32 inches <laughs> So we were uh, we were fortunate enough to come down and and do some fishing with you, Gus. Uh, you've got to spend an extra day, so I I guess I'll open it up to you and you and Rowan. You know how to go this weekend. Obviously, like you said, a little unfruitful, but uh, really interesting type of fishing. I mean, we were seeing bait everywhere. Thought we were hitting really good spots, and it just felt like for whatever reason. I mean, Rowan, you were talking that these muskies either it seems like they're fired up or they're just completely shut off and kind of pick your day on on what's happening on the rivers but i guess we can kind of just go into the weekend on you know how your guys's journey was after i left yeah uh it was it was tough really tough i uh we had a, a booming uh a really bumper crop of shad this year on the lower wisconsin river and uh it made the fishing tough for most of the most of the fall and late summer and uh, Gus and I showed up to about 10 million of them dead on the boat ramp. <laughs> so uh, yeah. that that was probably uh, a large factor for why the muskies weren't cooperating, just laying there with their mouth open, engulfing Chad. But yeah, it was it was something else to see about 10 million seagulls 
with the 10 million Chad. Yeah, it seems like everything was pretty much just full. Nothing yeah, really wanted to cooperate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that I definitely feel that for this late in the year. I mean, we're working with water temps of what? Was it 33 or something like that? 33. I got 30, yeah. Th- I think we hit 34 and I said uh, bust out the bucktails. Right, yeah. I get the IC7 yeah. going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, yeah, what we typically were... dictates the shad levels each year? I I think it's just on a on a swing. You know, there's gonna be there's gonna be years where they're not very numerous, and then there's gonna be years where they're a million of them. And this yeah. year, it was crazy. I mean, uh, a good buddy of mine who uh, Gus talked to this past week had a really tough smallmouth season because he just the smallmouth were well fed. Everyone they caught would puke up like twenty shad in the boat. That's... Are they are are they not really looking at suckers if you're sucker fishing? Are they just engulfing shad only, or what's what's it look like in the fall? I'm not the biggest sucker fisherman, but uh, they they probably would look at them. But I think with that many shad in the water, the I I don't think they're gonna look at anything but a dead yeah. shad. <laughs> Crazy. With yeah. the with the shad, I saw that they're. Well, first I've like, I've never fished the Wisconsin river actually that, that far South and, and really kind of anywhere on it. And I didn't honestly, it shows my, uh, what I really don't know. I didn't know it had shad. So I was kind of surprised seeing that and they're not that big, right? If you want to tell everyone yeah, about how big they are. I'm not, uh, not even sure the exact species of shad that they are, but they're, they're definitely not like the thread fins or gizzards that are like 15 inches long. They're like, you know couple few oh. inches maybe six inches long mm-hmm. yeah and that makes it even tougher because you know that size profile is really hard to cover ground with because i'm you know i'm sure you could fish some kind of little glide bait or a, a husky jerk or something and maybe get them to go but i just hate to cover a enormous river like the lower wisconsin with a tiny bait like that yeah and the fact that it does also have suckers and also all of the normal yeah. game fish and all the rough fish, which you yeah. said you've seen muskies down there pooping out carp scales and all that stuff. So they eat yeah, carp, scale, carp scales the size of a quarter too, not not little yeah. ones. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yes. You're not throwing big enough baits, everybody. You could not throw a big <laughs> enough bait. <laughs> I was telling Gus on Sunday that we had a uh had a muskie on the Wisconsin River one year eat at 38 inch northern off our line. Oh my god. <laughs> we thought our no. uh, monster swimming dog was big. We yeah. Get size up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I had one go on the ultra dog today. Ooh. What uh did it hit out in the cast or what? Yeah, way out on the cast. I let it sink all the way to the bottom and gave it about one pop and then my line just went slack. Oh, bummer. Yeah, pretty pretty typical late fall rubber eat. Got about one head shake out of her after I reeled down to it and then pulled back a bait with a shredded noggin. Oh, man. And that's tough after, you know, the few days that we just had. Of, yeah. Uh, no sightings because yeah. they weren't they weren't really even showing themselves either. Maybe on side image, but. Yeah, a couple side imaging follows, but even those were pretty Sasquatchy. Yeah. So you, uh, you obviously do, um, some fly fishing and conventional, 
is your guide trips, would you say like mostly fly fishing oriented or is it kind of 50, 50? What's the typical split on your season for clients? I, and stuff? I started out 100% fly fishing and, uh, I, I wouldn't say a hundred percent, 95. We'd get guys who come in the boat and we're just woefully unprepared to fly fish for eight hours. And I'd have a gear rod there in case they got discouraged, but, uh, but no, I've been trying to switch over to doing more gear fishing just because I've been having a, a blast doing it on the river. And it's it's really incredibly effective for fish that haven't seen that many gear baits. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm trying to trying to get into that a little bit more, but it's been more successful this past season, getting getting some gear clients in the boat. And so like, what's a typical lineup then for going after these river fish with gear? Because... I mean, obviously the fly, like it, it really kind of presents its own deal with how you obviously, you know, slow moving it is and kind of the action on it. Um, are you trying to use baits that are replicating of the fly or is it just kind of your typical lineup of stuff or what, what do you have in clients, you know, usually throw out on the river? Definitely kind of trying to mimic the fly uh lots of twitch baits glide baits suix stuff like that that you can they can pause and and keep above all the snags that uh that we were finding the entire weekend mm-hmm. but uh but that being said bucktails and rubber are also incredibly effective yeah and, i mean the one the one thing i thought was crazy sorry to kind of butt in but like when we were starting out and you're like don't be afraid to literally like in your figure eight, just pause the bait 10 full seconds. Yeah. Like they will yep. come up and eat it, you know, cause you have the current, your bait's still kind of doing stuff. And you were like, yeah, just leave it there. Like you'd be surprised how many fish will just come up and like, what yeah. was that one day you were saying like you were throwing your fly and they were really going and like, you just pause it like for 10 seconds by the bow. You just start like laughing yourself. Cause you just knew eventually one of them was just going to come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. and every, every it. couple of casts. I mean, they, they would come out of the water and miss the bait and, you know, swing at them like two feet away from it. And I was just, yeah. Every time I'd pause my fly, I'd start uncontrollably giggling. Cause it was just like, <laughs> Oh, here he comes. Here he comes. <laughs> Where the hell was this? What time of year? What were the conditions? <laughs> yeah. Right. The same exact conditions that we were fishing in this weekend in the same exact spot without seeing anything this past weekend. Damn. That was Muskies wild. Be, muskies be musky. And... So, Rowan, you got me on the fly route as well because I'm kind of looking into getting one and trying it on the lakes up here and, you know, maybe potentially getting on some rivers myself. And I thought those, well, first, you're, the big glide bait I used that you tied up, that thing was sweet. That thing literally went side to side perfectly, and it wasn't even like that hard to use. Which, you know, I was I was surprised. I thought I'd like really, really be struggling there. But that other technique, that like bottom dragging, that was super cool. I don't know if you want to explain to the people what that is, or like how you like to use that, or maybe when you like to use that technique. Yeah, so that's a it's a pretty old school fly fishing technique. Um, Brad Bowen is the one who invented that fly the river pig and it's it's just a big musky jig it's got a, a lead dumbbell eyes or aluminum dumbbell eyes the original ones were aluminum i like using lead just to get them down a little faster mm-hmm. and uh yeah you, you quarter it behind the boat so we're always moving downstream so you'll throw it 45 degrees up behind the boat 
let it sink for a couple seconds. And the whole goal is to just keep keep it moving at a slow, steady spa- pace just above the bottom. You don't necessarily want to be dragging it on the bottom because you're just going to get snagged and and you want to keep it slightly above the fish. But then every time you tick anything on the bottom, you want to give it a big hop. And usually right after that hop, they're going to eat it. Or when you get to the boat, you do a big, deep figure eight, and they're they're going to eat it in that first corner. And it's, it's really fun because you, you can't see the fly the entire time. So the eats away from the boat are pretty, pretty exciting because it just goes tight. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then obviously the boat side eats are awesome because you you know your fly comes into view and the fish just comes out at a hundred miles an hour and murders it. Yeah. So are you are, are you using full sinking line for that? Like how deep are you letting that thing get down? I like kind of a medium medium sinking line for that. Um, like a sink three or four, depending on the on the river. There's some stuff that we do where we're in like. 25 30 feet of water fishing these big shelves and i'll I'll use something more like a five six even like an eight or a ten for that but uh but no i kind of want it to just be floaty right above the bottom not not on the bottom and getting snagged where your line's dragging on the bottom but you know a couple inches above right in the fish's face and then making contact with any little rock or or stick that sticks up and usually, yeah, you make contact with that structure, give it a pop, and that that's when they go. Yeah, it was it was a slow technique, but I was captivated by it. I was I was really enjoying doing that. I was thinking to myself at any moment it could happen. I mean, obviously, like the days are shorter. I probably really was only doing it for like three, four hours, and it it can't always just happen in that short of time, especially, you know, fly yeah. fishing for these freaking things. It's gotta be a little bit more of a challenge sometimes, but also it, it works really well. And what I want to know about that technique is uh, I don't think we, I don't even know if I asked you this in the boat, but uh, when do you start using that? Or do you like to use that in the spring and summer or is so, that just strictly fall? Um, I like it in the, in the spring, especially if we get a cold spring, any of those kind of cold front days in, in May and June, May in Southern Wisconsin, June in Northern Wisconsin, it, it can be deadly for sure. And then the other time that I use that is uh, in the middle of the summer when the fish are really far down and fast current. And I'm going to fish them more aggressively that time of year, give them more hops and, and pop it a little bit more. But it, it does the same thing, gets it down to those fish. Really, any time that you think that the fish are holding near the bottom in a, in a river. I don't have any luck with them on lakes. Okay, interesting. I wonder if it, I think it would work, but I I just haven't I haven't yeah. found a, a it is. I wonder effective. if it just needs to be like a. <clears throat> I mean, maybe I mean sometimes cold fronts here and in the summer fish absolutely fire up and you can catch them on bucktails. But there's definitely days where they're in funks. I found them in yeah. pretty big time funks here in the lakes on bizarre weather patterns. I feel like that could be effective, especially that uh, river pig you said. Or... Yep. Yeah, it kind of hops a little bit, depending on the yep. weight you have. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, could be a I good was, trigger. I was also thinking, uh, like early spring when they're in in the spawning areas, and you can sight fish mm-hmm. them. I've mm-hmm. thought about doing it on the Madison chain a lot because we'll get those like big weed flats with the dark emergent vegetation and a muskie sitting on it, and you can you can straight up see them. The water's clear, and that would be. I think it would work. I haven't tried it yet, but. 
I think that would be a legitimate tactic to try. Yeah. And another thing with the fly that you pointed out is that they're, well, not only are they silent moving through the water, but they're silent when they hit the water. And yep. you said that that might not spook those river fish because we're fishing, you know, some skinny areas up against logs where like you're trying to hit the fly like right on them because the fish are typically on the banks, you know, more t- you know, sometimes or more times than not. But- yeah. The the rule of thumb is if the water's high, they're on the banks. If the water's low, they're in the middle of the river. Okay. But um, but yeah, no, I I do think that there's times when that like a, a pounder hitting the water is gonna make them wake from twenty feet away and smash it. And then there's also times where it's like that's gonna scare the shit out of them. Right. So mm-hmm. it is nice to just be a little stealthy sometime. Would you say too, like when you're when you're fly fishing? Is there any, like, if you notice any distinct differences on, like, how these fish will follow in on a fly compared to, like, a conventional lure? Like, are Yeah, you they do it a to... lot more. They okay. love following flies. It's just, like, nonstop some days, especially in the springtime. It's just, like, sometimes you can't beat them off those things. They, they won't eat them, but they'll be on them <laughs> just all day long. <laughs> are you, like, doing any maneuvers to get them to go? boat side that are different than a conventional like figure eight one that my buddy actually told me about this year it's kind of the same uh maneuver as i was having you guys do on the river this weekend with the 10 second pause boat side but with a fly because they're neutrally buoyant at least some of them you can pause them like 10 feet away from the boat and on the madison chain this spring when the water was really clear that was effective it was kind of crazy how because they kept coming in late and, you you know, you get into your first turn of the eight and you'd have a super hot fish on and it might go around the eight once or twice, but then it would just leave because you're in, you know, four foot of gin clear water. Mm-hmm. But uh, turned out pausing it 20 feet from the boat kind of got them to go. Yeah, that long pause with a little double twitch afterwards. Um, long, Yeah, long pauses are really the the key with fly fishing because it it does it so well if you can stop that fly and let it just hover in the current and let all those natural materials move that's Mm -hmm. a really good opportunity for those fish to kill them yeah that that technique sounds like something that i want to use uh with a potential fly rod that i'll get because that brings me to thought on our early season here when we were struggling a little bit and uh we start hitting a little clear cleaner water and we were getting super late follows, but we were getting tons yep. of follows and we were doing a full figure eight and then they'd show up or something. And I figured mm-hmm. we were maybe just not doing the right maneuver. Cause it was, I, we weren't going to get them in the eight out there. It was too clear. Yep. It, it's just, it's tough to get them in the eight when the water's that clean, but yeah, that's just something that I'm, I'm definitely going to use. I'm probably going to be uh, sending you a message this spring. Like, Yo, you got any of those glide baits or river yeah. baits or something like that I can purchase because those things are yeah. sweet. I yeah, was thinking I mean, like you could probably do it with a with a suic or something too. You know, death pause it twenty feet from the boat. I know uh, my buddy Dara and I were doing that a lot on the chip off flowage this year. Stop a suic or a vexer 20, 10, 20 feet from the boat and just kind of wiggle it just under the surface and give it a big hard rip. That's that was another good trigger. I'm, you know, I'm always trying to get them to eat before they get to the boat. You don't yeah. want them to yeah. eat the boat. <laughs> Especially with the pull pause baits. Yeah. Yep. It's super tough to get them in the figure eight with that kind of stuff. 
So if you're if you're just conventional fishing and you get like a couple active fish into the eight, do you keep a fly ready to cast back at it? Like have you had yeah. any success doing that? I've had some pretty decent success doing that. It um not so much this year. I've, they kind of have vanished. My normal program is if I get them to move on like a suic or a twitch bait or or something mid column or surface, I'm going to throw one of those river pigs back right where I last saw it and let it sink to the bottom. And I've had really good success catching cast back fish with those. But um, I can't say that I've had a ton of success just like throwing another mid column fly. You know, you move one on a pull pause bait and then just throw a glide fly back in their face. It probably aren't going to eat it. But, but if you drastically change the tactic, for sure, a, a viable viable technique is there uh is there any such thing as a musky topwater fly yeah yeah we i limited success we talked to the the lake x boys about it because we have had such a hard time hooking fish on topwaters because uh to make it a fly it's got to be damn near weightless so you can cast it and uh they just they displace them. They hit it, and the fly rolls right out of their mouth. And you know, you notice with all those musky topwaters, they weigh a ton. You can cast them a mile, right. and that's what that's what makes them actually eat them. So we we basically have big poppers, and yeah. muskies eat them. But I, it's not my favorite. It's it's really awesome to watch them blow them up a hundred times, but you catch like one out of twenty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leave it to Brian to ask if there's a top water fly. <laughs> I mean, that'd probably be the coolest way to catch a muskie. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. If you can get them on the the way that I've got them on top water flies is uh, waking it like a flap tail. So I'll stick my fly rod under my armpit and then just pull the line in with two hands really, really slow. And it just kind of gurgles and wakes across the surface. And then I've gotten some more committal eats with that but they're not always gonna eat that yeah that'd be pretty sweet yeah it's fun do you have like a time of uh year for that like your favorite month to do that on the river yeah probably like july august okay that uh mid-summer typical top water september too obviously when everyone else is throwing top waters but we always uh i was talking to a friend this year and he's like the only thing we can get them on is top waters and river pigs it was either on the bottom or on the top they wouldn't eat anything mid column and that was mid-july they're probably out eating all the coots yeah (laughs) right (laughs) weren't you saying like uh when you're on the boat on saturday that you um was it like a a study or something that um like a fish if like they wanted to eat they will eat and if they don't eat like they did it on purpose like if they go after yeah. oh yeah it was the the ugly pike podcast i believe i could be wrong but they they did a study where they did all sorts of kind of messed up things to muskies like blinded them and stuff and and fed them in like complete dark and uh they found that they were like Another t- completely made up s- statistic. I could be off on this, but they were like ninety six percent effective in eating something, which makes them like one of the most effective predators on the face of the planet. Like lions and tigers and whatever, they don't kill ninety six percent of the things they try and eat. I I found that astonishing because I'm like, like how 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 is that real? Because yeah. how think about how many times 
you've had a muskie like come in and try to eat and it's like so i mean what what are they doing like are yeah. they just messing with you or are they just like kind of figuring oh, out yeah. what's going on oh they're messing i've got theories i mean i think that they're like you kind of tricked them like you got a fish that's really not hungry and doesn't really want to eat and they just kind of take a lazy swing at it because you got a reaction strike out of them and then i've got the like aggression theory where it's like that fish is territorial and it's not actually trying to eat it it's just trying to scare the hell out of it and get it out of its face because we do get a lot of those eats where they just completely miss on huge glide flies when you're stripping them super fast and get it right in their face and they just blow up on it as soon as it touches the water. And I've always kind of thought that it's like, get out of here, leave. I don't want you in my area. Yeah, I no, I I mean, I agree. I was I was doing a little research today because I was like I was kind of like looking around on that theory, like trying to see if there's any more literature on it. And I kind of stumbled across this article. I, I'll feel bad because I won't be able to remember who wrote it. So sorry for not giving you credit. But they were talking about how like muskies, like, you know, any animal like a dog or a cat, they have like legit personalities. Like not every muskie is created equal. They don't all, you know, act the same way. That's and wild. so like they were talking about how just as like, you know, some cats are more playful or a dog is more obedient there's some muskies that are literally have like personalities. And like, I can kind of think back to like certain fish that have, you know, behaved in weird ways. Like not to think that muskies are, you know, they got these like cognitive human elements, but (laughs) you know, definitely have thought about fish that are like way more pissed off or, you know, fish that are a little bit more, you know, just playful playful or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's like part of it too, you know. Um, yeah, I can like, see it. Wait, yeah. so I, I want to go back to that experiment these guys ran. What <laughs> more do you know about that? <laughs> that I, yeah, I'm not totally positive the the logistics on that experiment. Was this it on was, their pod? They talked about it. Yeah, it was Ugly Pike podcast. I'm 99 sure of that. They they were researching what colors that they liked the best and and uh, whether they hunted with their lateral line or eyesight and all this all this stuff and they they found that they they were basically just like didn't matter if they had their eyesight didn't matter if they had their lateral line didn't matter if it was complete darkness murky water they could always find what they wanted to eat and red orange and yellow were the best colors. That, I mean that checks out. I you know. I, I, I was like, I went down this rabbit hole today too. Cause it was like just all these things. And I, I stumbled back on that Jordan week study when he put all those tags and different fishes on the Manitowish chain and then followed them. Have you read any, have you read up on that at all or listened to his seminar no. on it? No, I didn't even know about that. Oh dude, you gotta go and, and check it out. It's one of the most fascinating things he, so he pretty much Gus, correct me if I'm or filling any blanks here. Cause I, you know, again, I, I don't want to screw it up, but like he, you know, pretty much planted chips into muskies and would go out on the water every day and not fish. And just literally like he had a device that would, if he got close enough to the fish, the device would beep. And so he knew, you know, what fish that was, you know, with like the signal that it would give off on his device. And so like he was able to actually track if these fish move from, different lakes on the Manitowish chain and kind of how like their movements or whatever. And if they were caught and 
tagged and recorded, he found that actually fish like that, you know, they would set up shop in an area and in the summer months, relatively, most of them would stay put unless that they were caught. Then they would kind of, they would leave, they vacate the area. Interesting. They were moody, you know, like they were like pissed off that they were caught. Like I'm associating this area with like a negative experience. So they would move and then set up shop somewhere else. And some fish, you know, live their entire, like they learn that some fish live their entire life almost exclusively in the open water and will only come up into the shallows like every once in a blue moon. Like he talked about the spawn pretty much. There's like this one fish that only moved into a certain weed bed on an east wind and it was like a big fish. And then 99% of the other time it's life it just lived out in the open water and roamed the basin yep. there's definitely fish that do that in madison you only see them in the springtime when they're spawning it's like man where was that thing the rest of the season <laughs> yeah that, his, his study makes me just think that like you know you think like the eagle river chains super high pressure like if fish are that good at associating you know a spot where they were caught with like danger and they vacate the area I think we just got to start hitting like the worst looking spots ever. Assuming that fish go and chill there because nobody fishes it. Seriously, <laughs> the first there might be the merit in that. I think the um, first. Yeah. I think the first fish that was put in the boat this year in the Eagle River chain, Dad caught it on the first Tuesday night league, and we we straight up caught it in a spot I have never tossed a lure in ever, and I've never heard anybody talk about it. And I I told. I think I just told like Jeremy or something. He's like, really? You caught one there? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. There's some weeds over there. It's kind of a tiny little spot. I'm going to go back and hit it again. I actually never hit it the rest of the year, but <laughs> I don't know why. It, it was a tiny fish. It uh, it was so small, it did not count in league, so it was sub 30. But I could see a big one holding in that every once in a while. Yeah, Max I was, was telling you guys that... Um... Tonka this year, Dara mentioned to me that he likes fishing high traffic boating areas because no yeah. one, no one muskie fishes there and they're churning up the water and stirring up fish. And I've definitely had that happen on the chain. You got dry. I had one eating someone else's prop wash one day. I was so yeah. mad at him for running over my bait and then a fish loaded up. Yep. That <laughs> happens here on the Eagle River chain all the time. I mean, definitely some, well, there's community spots, there's high traffic spots and they're going to be good every year, but yeah, there's a few that are like, why the hell am I fishing here? But they're there, you know? Yep. Yep. And no one else wants to fish there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everybody only wants to fish those at like first light or last light, but yeah, definitely good in the middle of the day. Three o'clock in the afternoon, bunch of pontoon boats and jet skier. <laughs> it's on. <laughs> what a dream. Sign me up. Max, was that study also the one that he talks about or showed that muskie move like a crazy amount in October? Like, I think that was a a different one that they talked about. Like, they they classified the certain months where fish roam the most. And yeah, Gus probably. I think there was a that one more. There was an old one. There was like an actual. There was like a a researched peer-reviewed article posted you know with all the citations and everything from oh i i'd have to really look it up but it's old like it's it's from well before 2000 
And I think like a lot of the fish that they tracked ended up dying because the the uh the electronics that they had to track these fish just weren't like as small as they are now or what they can do now, like pit tagging and all that. But yeah, it was like crazy how much they moved in the spring and fall. Like fish would just be they would move all the time. Whereas the summer they'd kind of stay put, kind of move, and then the winter, like they would it was like they just wouldn't roam more than like an acre or something like that. But yeah, the spring and fall, they're on the move. Anecdotal evidence of that. We uh, we've got a river that we fish all the time that they are absolutely vacant in the summer. You cannot find a fish to save your life. And then all of a sudden October, November rolls around and they all show up. And then uh, we had a buddy, uh, Max tried to pick up a, a rod from him at Thorn Bros the other day. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he Oops. saw monkeys just on the move he was sitting there in like three feet of water and they were just swimming up the shore and you'd throw baits at them they wouldn't do anything and they fins out of the water swimming up the shore just cooking and then sure enough Man. you go back the next day and there's no muskies in that spot yeah oh. that's wild that's that's one thing i've thought about I'll just bring it back to the Eagle river chain. Cause it's just something easy to talk about. And I'm sure it happens in every single chain and every river system. But like, it seems like they for sure go through the channels here, but like I hear about when some certain lakes in the chain are on or not, I wonder if like that particular spring, like a bunch of big fish or a bunch of fish went through channels that ended up in that lake. It became summer. And then that was their home for this year. And then all of a sudden that lake popped off because there's, x number more in that lake than 2022 and i could totally see that because there was definitely time just from being in in league and finding out you know how many fish get caught and you get to know which lake they're caught on that you know there's there's some lakes that were just in fuego two years ago and there was like there's been like two caught on it the last two years so i just sometimes i don't understand that part but I'm I'm always like the most fascinated with um where big fish kind of set up shop that the ones that don't just roam the basin and then will like randomly just kind of set up shop in like a certain area of the lake. Like I think back to Gus um and Rowan, I'd be kind of curious to hear your thoughts on this when it relates to river stuff, if if you've seen this. But like for example, you know, we fished the Eagle River chain for I don't know, 15 plus years now. And this one particular spot, like we had never seen a giant fish there um, and, and fished it. I, I don't even know, like countless and countless times. And then one summer, uh, the summer where, you know, Gus did well in the, the um, one of the Alliance tournaments, tournament. the Alliance tournament, the world muskie championship, we were fishing there in like the end of June. And my, my dad had a pike on and shakes off the pike at the boat and the second the pike hit the water mid 40s musky you know thicker than a snickers comes up and just t-bones the pike like at a million miles an hour and we were like we've never seen a fish that size set up in this shot this in this spot and you would not think it's like your quintessential no. big fish area feels and like a so, small fish spot yeah it feels like a numbers kind of like um you know, what do you call them, Gus, the, the baby or kindergarten, whatever. Oh, the, the, uh, nursery. the nursery. Yep. Yeah. Nursery mm -hmm. for small fish. And so, you know, we went back to that spot during the, the Alliance tournament because we were thinking, you know, maybe could load up on a few smaller fish. 
it was like our first morning and I'm throwing a top water and boom, there she is, you know, just waking behind this thing and right on the waypoint of where we saw this fish eat this pike doesn't eat that day. And we go there two mornings later and Gus pops that fish. Like literally that fish did not move for two months. Cause that tournament was at the end of August. So we saw it in middle of June, father's day weekend in June. And then caught it two months later like within the same 10 yards and 15 <laughs> yards yeah radius. it was like right right on a cast in the same direction and everything and i know that you talked about a fish that you pretty much named on the stretch of river that we fished and you yeah. were like oh it sits like right on this rock corner yeah yeah she didn't i'm she might have moved this year but I'm for the past five years that fish hasn't gone anywhere. What? It's hilarious. I mean, I used to make a joke. I'd text my friend like, "She's still there." I just sighed him at her when I drove up. <laughs> yeah, we've caught her three times now. It's just, it's hilarious. I mean, and we had another big one on another one of my favorite stretches of the river that uh, we we moved and then came back the next day and hooked and then i i can't confirm that it was the same fish but a year later same spot same time of year another low 50s fish comes out of the the exact same corner of the river so the it's weird how they do that and you got to think like was it there the entire time or did it like go somewhere else and come back only at this time but yeah it's bizarre yeah i mean i i that that to me would be like if you could try to put the pieces of it all together, like figuring out, you know, if how and when these big fish set up and why they do it. And then like, it's, it would be impossible, but obviously like just kind of trying to understand that a little better because obviously the goal is to catch, you know, muskies, but to catch big fish. So it's like, if you could learn, you know, what makes a, a big fish want to set up in a certain spot and just kind of be able to like identify those areas. But I just, I don't know if there's a method to the madness at all. I don't know if there is either. It seems <laughs> like they do whatever they want. And that's kind of like another one of our theories is that like they're the apex predator and they can do whatever they want. That's kind of our theory behind why you catch big fish in Hayward on uh, really terrible conditions. Like it can be like sunny and calm and 80 degrees in the middle of the day and you catch the biggest fish you've ever seen or see the biggest fish you've ever seen. It's because that fish can do that. You know, the the 32 inch is afraid of getting eaten by an eagle or something, but a 52 doesn't care. It can go right. swim around whenever it wants and do whatever the hell it wants. <laughs> yeah, I got I something super random popping my mind, but this is a random question, Rowan, and i I'm going to need an answer for river and a lake. If you came back to this earth as a muskie and you were the biggest muskie, where would you sit on a river and on a lake? Where's your best spot? <laughs> Can we open yeah. this up? Can we open this oh, up? Oh, yeah. There? That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, if I was if I was an enormous 55-inch muskie on a lake, I would set up on a a huge reef in the middle of the lake that just drops off into like 25 feet of water 30 feet of water and i'd sit right on that shelf and just kill cisco's all the time <laughs> and only and, at uh, night I, yeah only at night when it's like terrible out snowing and like 
<laughs> 32 degrees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I would do. And I would just miss baits all the time. <laughs> just back just, at him. Back at Mouth him. closed. I'd go around the eight like 50 times and just take swank <laughs> them at every corner, but never eat it. <laughs> just keep charging up on it. <laughs> yep. If I was a muskie on a river, I would live in a like a slough that no one can get to. <laughs> <laughs> like just like some ridiculous place that you'd never think you'd look at it on the map and be like, I can't get my boat back there. Maybe leave your tail out of the water though, so that they know you're back there. Yeah, but they can't get yeah. to it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, or, or just like kill a duck when you drive by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh, Brian. I, I Brian, I got to hear your answer, even though I think I already. Know well, my my answer. I'll what do the other people in this call know that I'm a sixty inch muskie? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you ain't a 60 inch Dude, musky there ain't dog. no way. <laughs> you said the biggest musky. If you were a musky, you'd be I like... I mean, are y'all, are y'all going to be coming after me? That's what I need to know. If you were a musky, you'd be like a 43 inch, blind in one eye, lengthy, <laughs> lanky, skinny little thing that couldn't find a meal. That's what you'd be if you were a musky. All right, now we're just changing Dang. the question. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, my bad. I'll step off, I'll step off. Uh well if y'all are trying to track me down you got my number uh I'll be I'll be about sixty feet down in an eighty foot hole no way no that's yeah. not no yeah <laughs> no way you'd be you won't up survive by, you'd be sitting by a bunch of stumps in the back of bay on nah. the most predictable musky spot and you'd eat a five hundred booker tail I'd be no under a boat I'd be under a boat lift <laughs> taking night crawlers from the kids. You'd be caught maybe, 16 maybe the family times. dog. Caught 16 plus times. Yeah, I'd like to change my answer. I'd actually live in the marina. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Of the most popular resort on the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And just make memories for people over yep. and over again. I'd steal little kids' rods out of their hand while they ate <laughs> Nobody'd be swimming there after a while. Yeah. You're kind maybe of stealing my answer. Kids. I, I would live, like... I, if I was a muskie, I would definitely be by a boat ramp. Yep. Not a marina, but a boat ramp. It's good to boat know. Boat ramp muskie. Because I the think then, because then people would call me like you know they'd give me a name and stuff. Everyone would know me. You know, you get caught. Like, yeah, I'd probably get caught. I'd probably get caught. <laughs> You're just being honest with yourself there. <laughs> I mean, I'd I'd be a I'd be a there's some good musky. looking baits out there, no doubt. I'd be a husky. I'd be a husky musky. Uh, I'd get caught but I'd be living at the bow ramp everyone that drops their boat in would be like there's a fish right here and I'd be like yes sir (laughs) (laughs) what about you oh man I've been uh, that's tough you guys took a lot of good answers that I probably was going to use especially the resort muskie that's got to be the best one or uh Probably just some thick weeds. Just go in there and sit and don't Choked move. out milfoil. Yeah, something that nobody can cast into and uh, hope that nobody plows through that or takes them out because that would be my home. So you don't want to be caught. No, no. Those are the muskies <laughs> that do not want to be caught and they can just chow on bluegills 24-7. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to – Can I can I ask a follow-up question to the room? Sure. So now that we're putting ourselves into the mind of a muskie, if you guys were a muskie, what lure do you think would trick you into eating? 
a husky jerk, a walleye, walleye-sized husky jerk. <laughs> a little snicky snack. A little snicky snack. I always like potato chip. Hey, yeah. yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Trying to correlate it to like my favorite meal or food. If it's like yeah, exactly. a big meal or a, or a snack. I already know Max's answer. I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna boy. let him say it, but I, what I you mean? know <laughs> you know what it is. <laughs> Try to speak for me. What do you got? Your little sus tube, you like. Oh, come on. Oh, <laughs> Wonder Bread. <laughs> that ain't right. Hey, yo, that's the Wonder Bread tube's the one that I throw. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Max got cruel. that. Max got the the pink and orange tail oh, yeah. tube. Why do you think yeah. I'd like tubes, Brian? I don't know. It's just, say it's with, just part of your appetite, dog. Say it with your personal. chest. <laughs> that's a glizzy gobbler. All right, Brian, what do you got? There he is. <laughs> Me, well, because oh we got on that note, I got to change my answer now. I was going to say a weagle, but I don't know about that. Oh, um, man. Shoot. Probably a beaver. Probably beaver for being real. For being real? Yeah, probably beaver. Oh, oh, I'm glad. glad we're being real here. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever bait dumb muskies eat. This is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I think Brian would get caught on the same goddamn bucktail that he'd eat 16 different times. I'm convinced on that. 500 Booker. Yeah. If you lived on the chain, you wouldn't make it past 37 inches. Mm-mm. You'd be laying on some pontoon boat, in front of some pontoon boat, just flip flopping around while everyone's taking pictures of you. Oh, I'd look like I just got out of the trenches after summer. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> you'd be getting caught by every Tom, Dick, and Harry and Eagle River. <laughs> All right, I don't really know where we go from here, but that was fun to like do a little role playing. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know what I wanted to make about on that. I was just, it came, the thought went across my mind. And I just wanted to ask it. So it's funny <laughs> that we had a little tangent there. Uh, should we get back to just maybe how to catch these things, or because this, sure. this no, is kind of like more or less, yeah, yeah, this is more or less how we want to catch them or how we think <laughs> that they should be caught. But all right, so. Rowan, it's December now. Do you think you're going to be making it back out? And if you do, is it going to be back on the river? Is the mass and chain going to be open? What's the deal? Well, it's uh, it's my birthday next week. And historically, I've got a couple calendar dates that have always been pretty good to me. Halloween's one of them. And then uh, my birthday, it seems like I always have a really good time. December 11th and 12th. And, uh, I'm, I'm kicking around a lot of ideas. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going fishing this weekend. Me and uh, Randy are going up to somewhere. I've, uh, after the lake today, I was kind of kicking around trying to get back out on a, on a big lake, but, uh, I've got a couple big fish numbers on the river that I'm pretty, pretty excited to go hit. So it's going to be a game time decision. For sure. Probably Friday night leaving work. I'll be figuring out where I want to go. But uh, I might even drive to like Ohio or something. I have not decided. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so it, it's, it seems like you got like a pretty good crew of dudes down there that all, you know, are relatively younger and, and into this, you know, 
um, you know, musky game with you. Are, are these guys that you met through musky fishing, or are they guys that you grew up with, or you know, just yeah, connected with? There's a small, a small group. Uh, I'd say I've got I've got a lot of friends in northern Wisconsin and uh, a couple down here. Uh, a lot of them were through musky fishing on the internet, just like I met you guys. You know, posting mm-hmm. musky pictures, talking on talking in the DMs, just meeting and, guys online. Meeting guys online, super safe, meeting a public <laughs> place, you know, <laughs> behind the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, um, it's kind of, it is definitely tough to find younger dudes who uh, want to go do crazy things like go musky fishing at two in the morning. But, uh, yeah, I, I always get made fun of because all my friends are like 10 years older than me because they all, you know, actually want to go fishing but <laughs> i think it's awesome i mean that's like kind of part of the reason why we did this is to you know get the just keep keep kind of like building this community of younger anglers because you know we're eventually going to be the future of it so i don't know i think it's a cool deal getting out with people that are all like-minded and makes it fun you know so i mean you uh we met you actually i mean not online first time we met up at the Chippewa flowage, uh, during the PMTT championships, you, you and your buddy, uh, Dara were out there just fishing for fun that weekend and, and had a lot of success. So I did want to touch a little bit in this interview on the Chippewa flowage, because it's still a little bit of enigma to, to Gus, Brian and myself, even though Gus and I spent a grip of time out there trying to figure it out. Um, but you were telling us in the boat that it's become kind of one of your favorite places to go and, and chase these things you want to just kind of touch on why and you know maybe a little bit on how you guys have, have dialed in some sort of a, a, a game plan out there yeah um yeah i grew up with a cabin 10 minutes from the chip off flowage we'd go bluegill fishing and james slew all the time and uh we musky fished it a, a fair amount and didn't have a great bunch of success growing up and I kind of wrote it off for years as just like, ah, the place is huge and I can go to this little 200 acre lake and catch muskies every day and, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, I got, I got in the boat with Dara and, uh, the first day that I was in the boat with him in the first five hours, I popped like the heaviest 45 inch fish that I've ever had in like early July. It was an absolute toad. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's so cool because it's, it's such a big body of water and there are so many spots on it. It can be like daunting, but at the same time, there's muskies all over that place. Like every spot on the chip off flowage that you think looks good has a muskie on it. And it's, you know, any day they can be going on any bait and you can, you can dial in your own bite and then show up at the resort and be like, yeah, man, they only wanted to eat mag dogs today in the weeds. And you had to rip it at a hundred miles an hour. And then the next guy will be like, yeah, I was just long stroking suics and, and getting them to go in 10 feet of water. It's, it's a weird place. It is an enigma. I mean, and, uh, I think you guys saw it at the PMTT where you just, you don't see fish. You go like days without even getting a follow, and then they all go berserk in like twenty minutes, and you just <laughs> catch three of them. It's, you just better hope cool you're place. on them. 
just like yeah. hope you're in the the right area when that lights up feels like something that uh dara really drilled into my head was uh you gotta be you gotta be good with side imaging and and assume that everything that you see that might be a mosky is a mosky and uh really be able to pick up on those side imaging follows because you get a ton of them that come in and they follow your bait for 20 feet and then they turn off. And if you can recognize those, those turn offs on side imaging, you can come back to them on a prime window and maybe get those fish to go. It's a, it's a lot of intuition out there because you're not going to see fish. It's like, this spot looks good. I know there's a fish here. I'm going to pound it on the best windows and I'm going to catch one. And that's always how we've done it. We run and gun a lot because uh, I'm fortunate enough to fish with a guy who's, been fishing it for years and knows a bunch of good spots and you know if we if we get one going on a specific pattern this summer it was like put the boat in 14 feet of water cast at the weeds throw rubber and if you're doing that you could not lose and uh the first he the right before i caught that 45 incher we he hooked like a low 40s and his exact words were like oh if that fish ate that bait here there's going to be another one over here and we drove like five miles and pulled up on the spot and just like boom got one it was yeah it's it's wild it's a cool fishery yeah it was i mean it was i definitely have a newfound respect for it after spending a full week up there i mean i i can't say enough good things about it i know some people kind of dismiss it with you know people i think i think it, it does get you know a good amount of pressure i i don't know if that's just because it is such a good fishery or just kind of the history and nostalgia <clears throat> that comes with fishing the chippewa flowage like you know you just you, you say you're fishing the big chip and people kind of just know you know like they just know it and um it's it's a very identifiable body of water but yeah i felt like when we were out there you know what you just said like you didn't really see fish gus and i like when we got there the first day you know the first time we pre-fished it it was like we couldn't not hook or see fish and then all of a sudden we just went like what was it gus four four spots in a row with either hooking first four yeah there's four spots never been there kind of like you're saying we were just following our gut we're like that spot looks really cool and we roll up and you know hook a fish or see a fish or whatever or that spot looks good and then all of a sudden like we kind of we, we touched on this a lot in our, our old podcast so i don't need to kind of rehash it but it's like all of a sudden, next thing you know, we just were going like spot after spot of like not seeing anything and like confidence just started to, you know, decline super fast. And yeah, I don't really know exactly where I'm going with this, but it just kind of shows like how brutal, but awesome that fishery can be at the same time. Cause you, like you said, you know, you can go days without seeing a fish and then all of a sudden just like snap of the fingers. It just seems like they're going. Yep. So yep. I don't know. It's a cool one. It's, it's that the confidence thing is huge. Like there's a spot that, you know, there's a fish on, you just got to keep coming back to it. Even if you don't see them, there's uh there's a big one that got, I, I kept hitting the spot over and over again. Uh, Dara hooked one there early and uh, I kept going back to it and kept going back to it and wasn't seeing fish, wasn't seeing fish. And then I, I hooked a real big one and it ended up getting caught later at 47 inches and it's you just got to trust your gut and go back to those spots that look good because you you know there's a fish there yeah that makes sense so you kind of touched on not to totally change subjects here but you you might be fishing the trail next year 
kind of a big time asterisk maybe yeah potential. maybe we uh yeah we're we're kicking around the idea it would be it'd be pretty pretty fun to get down i just love the idea of fishing with so many good anglers just showing up to pmtt and fishing for fun that weekend you know you get so much intel from other dudes we're watching the facebook updates and everything it's like oh this guy's doing this i didn't even think about doing that that's that's a great idea you know it's you learn a lot from fishing with with other good anglers i think that's a a huge thing to to do especially if you're new in the game you got to get in the boat with just like make friends yeah i agree wouldn't you say gus that it's definitely leveled us up just fishing tournaments and hearing about what other people are doing it's like we've talked to clayton about this where you know on any given day somebody's catching a fish like the the, you know the the tournament isn't gonna blank so yeah everyone's got the same conditions and everyone goes and fish the same hours and yeah somebody's gonna come up with a fish or four or or three or four (laughs) yeah in the span of like an hour you know do do just some crazy things that you would never think of and maybe you're the one that does it maybe you watch it happen or maybe you're on timbuktu other side of the lake and you're like damn and then you find it out though and then maybe you go back there next time whereas you know like we're going back to cave we're going back to madison tonka's new for us and then if all goes well you know we're going to the home waters so we're definitely gonna be finding some stuff out and there's stuff that's in the back of my mind from now fishing cave once madison once that like oh i want to go try that in case our bite doesn't work out from before or something like that because the conditions could be totally different they probably will be Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) oh for sure i don't i don't think I mean, you never know. Maybe we go back to Madison and we got to wear winter coats and bibs again, you know, in early yeah. June. Yeah, I, I do love Madison. There are there are sneaky spots where, you know, I was getting them to go in uh, September this year. Everyone was fishing that like typical weed line stuff, casting over the weeds. And I was like way inside of everyone, like under docks kind of stuff. And yeah. uh so you can get on your own bite out there, but there's also just those community spots always produce in Madison. It's kind of awesome how many times you can pull up to Old Brick and just run a lap on the weed line and there's always muskies there. Yeah. Yeah. And it seemed like that's what kind of some people were doing. Max and I saw that pre-fishing. I mean, people were already kind of fishing a little open water, maybe trolling a little water or a little open water. And we were, for a little bit we weren't exactly sight fishing but we kind of just like plopped up in the nastiest dumbest looking stuff and we like saw one or two and we're like they're here too on the same day i mean yeah it's just wild that that place is pretty crazy that's the other thing with madison is there's at any given time it's like the flowage there's five different bites going on you'll talk to one guy that's catching them in open water you're catching another talking to another guy who's catching them on mid lake structure you're talking to another guy who's catching them inside weed edge there's there's a muskie on every piece of structure in that lake at any given time it's just a matter of which ones are going the the most Mm -hmm. so would you bring your fly gear if you did fish the pmtt would you use any any fly stuff I'd bring it. I don't think I would, I wouldn't, uh, die on that hill for sure. But, uh, I think it would competitive advantage for sure. If, if they're really going on it, but 
No, I I don't. That would not be my first first move. It's uh, it's a great tactic, and it's also not the most effective way to catch muskies. Well, is there? I mean, I I guess I'm kind of showing my ignorance here, but I mean, is the hookup percentage? shittier on fly gear than it is on conventional gear i guess that would just be is it the same better worse probably the same maybe even a little bit better for me just because i oh. spent like five or six years going only throwing flies because i got so crack addicted to it but uh the the big thing is covering water it's you know it takes longer to cast a fly rod I can make right. five casts with a gear rod and the time that I can make two casts with a fly rod and I can cast twice as far with a gear rod. Right. So, and I can move the boat faster and I can do the the whole thing. I have to be casting off the right side of the boat with the fly rod on a lake. I have to have the wind going the right way. There's so many variables to that that like in a competitive playing field, it's like, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. There's, there's a day when the, the fly will trounce everyone else in the in the tournament but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go out expecting that to happen i mean i could see on like bigger bodies of water like a madison or a tonka it's probably even though they they don't see it as much it's like you were saying there's probably just more elements and like covering water is more effective but i don't know i mean i could see like in an eagle river case depending on how the bite is you know if it's a harder bite up in eagle river you know, that could be something that would be really yep. interesting to try because some of those spots you do have to be a little bit more tactical on how you approach them. Yeah. And you're not cave just kind of too. running and go cave too. That's what right? I was going to say. Cave. Yeah. As well. I, uh, I do the Southern thing every spring and they love flies down there. That's like the, the Southern fish love glide baits. They love glide baits and jigs and weird stuff, pole baits and stuff like that and flies are the perfect the perfect tool for that and especially like springtime on cave when you get a ton of fish in one little area you know if i can find 20 fish in a cove like yep i'm i'm gonna live there and throw a fly rod and i'm gonna catch them but right that's, that's not what i'm gonna bank on for sure makes sense <laughs> um I have a question, but it might be a dead end. So I just want to check with you before I ask, have you fly fish much in Minnesota and any of the big waters? I did for like 20 minutes on a Metro Lake this past year. I did like so bad. You got out of there. It was blowing like 30 miles an hour. It was, it was really bad. I brought it. I brought my fly rod to Mille Lacs and then (laughs) was so overwhelmed with malax as a whole but i was just like <laughs> I was gonna say, that I seems like mission think, impossible <laughs> yeah i had the same bulldog on my rod the entire week at malax it was just like yeah no i don't even know what's going on the place that i do it a lot that i think is like parallel to that is green bay i love fly fishing on green bay those fish really? love flies Wow, I didn't even know that. I'd never even thought about that as an option. <laughs> I just everybody just hucks a bucktail as far as they can yeah and it's it's a seasonal thing for sure i go up there in the springtime and uh that's my uh my 50 on the fly was on green bay and it's it's so awesome we contact a million fish and they they love eating flies it's it's pretty cool do you fish them up the fox river at all Uh, i haven't done the fox actually i i always uh my buddy phil who i fish with up there phil stodola (laughs) he uh 
is always like, you got to get it to the fox when it's good. You got to get to the fox when it's good. If you throw that fly in the fox river, it's going to get murdered. And then every year when I'm going up there, he's like, don't go to the fox. (laughs) (laughs) Like a weak window where you got to be on the fox. (laughs) Yeah, it gets really poopy out there. You get some gross algae blooms and the clarity gets bad. And that's that's pretty terrible for fly fishing. It's not that the muskie can't find it, but my confidence goes so far down the drain when it's like a inch of visibility so yeah you're not making much noise i uh i do all it's interesting brian you asked about the minnesota stuff because i actually you reminded me i did want to ask you about this rowan you were telling us you took a trip up to malax this fall with uh with with dara right and uh was that your first time fishing malax yeah yeah it was my first time on the big pond it was daunting we got our boat we got stranded 10 miles from the oh yeah tell the story that shit was crazy <laughs> yeah we uh we were taking turns napping on the front of the boat while we trolled inside image <laughs> every reef on the south end of Malax. and uh <laughs> i set up this ridiculous trolling line that was like 20 miles long it was like if we hit this <laughs> reef and we go around and then we can swing around this one and uh i took my nap and i woke up and we had some we already had some boat problems that week and uh yeah i was trolling in dara's boat and all of a sudden every alarm went off it was just like beeping at me and screaming and i'm kicking them and throwing things at him like wake up your boat's dying (laughs) and he wakes up and turns his boat off because he thought it was a an overheating alarm and uh it it didn't turn back on the the starting back <laughs> and uh and we were this like, isn't in the middle of summer either no it's november on malax we're <laughs> like it's freezing cold there's five other boats on the entire lake and uh yeah we were sitting there just like looking off into the abyss and i was like Is this oh, at night as well cold. no it was daytime it was okay. like noon thank god but uh i was like you might as well just troll us closer but to the resort so we can call the coast guard and get a tow in because that's that's about where we're at and like it was probably 10 20 minutes into drinking whiskey and trolling at a mile per hour <laughs> that i saw a boat coming across the horizon is like we have to flag this guy down and we were standing there jumping and screaming and he came over and we flagged down the only boat on the lake with a jump pack in his boat <laughs> jesus he <laughs> <laughs> jumped the boat and we we drove all the way back to the boat ramp and the boat died 15 feet from the ramp no <laughs> way yeah, it was something else. Then we plugged her in, and I went back out the next morning, and it was it was all good. But the uh, the trip, like obviously outside of that scare, it sounded like you guys saw some fish, but couldn't get any to commit that weekend. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, we went two days without. Well, the first spot that we pulled up to, Dara was tinkering with baits and getting all excited, and I saw a spot on the map that said tulabi and i was like i'm going to going to the tulabies and i drove <laughs> right there and pulled up to a reef and we took like 10 casts and i was like there's one he came into the eight and and took off and i was like wow oh, this is easy like oh we're just gonna pull up to every reef and there's gonna be muskies on it and then we <laughs> fished for two days straight and didn't see a single thing and then yeah, I went out at um we we got some intel from one of the local guides up there, and uh, it was interesting. He was like, "Yeah, I can't find tulabies anywhere, but there's muskies where there aren't tulabi." And I was like, "That's all I need to know." And I I pulled up to a reef, and uh, 
I was like, that looks like a musky on side imaging. That looks like another one. And I stood up and chucked my ultra dog and hooked up on like the third cast, got a couple head shakes and she popped off and uh, ran back to the hotel. Dara was working, working remote at the time. I was like, all right, end your business call. We got to go out. I found them. And uh, <laughs> we ran back out there and ended up hooking and losing three and oh. moving another three or four. None of the ones we hooked were very big. There's uh, two of them were like low 40s. One of them was was big by Wisconsin standards, small by Malak standards, probably upper 40s, maybe 50. Ate a beaver up on top of the reef and uh, swam at the boat. But but yeah, it was it was awesome. I would live there when we were when we were leaving Malax. I was like, oh, I what I wouldn't give to have a month out here. This is the oh, yeah. best fishery ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely on my bucket list to get up there some point in time. I I was kind of hoping with like this um, recent pickup of like seems like Malax is getting a little more traction over the past like two or three years. Like it it felt like it was pretty dead for a while, and everyone was kind of saying, you know, I don't know if it was just people kind of resting on their past laurels there or whatever, but it sounded like, you know, no one really wanted to go fish it. And then it just feels like over the past few years, it's gotten talked about a lot more. And part of me was kind of thinking like, you know, is the PMTT going to maybe make a stop there? Because, you know, like obviously they try to, it seems like they do a Minnesota stop every year, um, you know, or at least tried to, or most years they do. So I was kind of thinking like, well, they've been doing the Bemidji, they've been doing the, you know, Leech. Are they going to ever make it back to Mille Lacs, you know? I, maybe in the future. That'd be, be really sick. I think there is a, a the muskie population is bouncing back out there for sure. There's there's definitely a lot of like low 40s, mid 40s inch fish out there. It's not the it's not the giant one giant fishery like like it used to be. Yeah. But uh I'm excited for Tonka. That's the, I, I was kind of like, oh, it's just a bunch of metro lakes and then cave. But then Tonka's ex- exciting to me. I fished it a bunch this year. I haven't caught one out there yet, but we've, we've contacted a ton of fish. And it's it's a cool body of water. It's like the Minnesota chip off lowage. Yeah, <laughs> with, with uh, party boats and... Yeah, enormous <laughs> party boats. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be curious to see how that one goes. I mean, I think it's going to be a lot of weather dependent type, you know, bites or maybe even more just like the sanity part. You know, if we can get a day like we had on Madison last year where Sunday all that shitty weather rolled in and like they're the only 90 boats that were on Monona and Wabisa were PMTT boats and that was it. Yep, Um, yep. That's what you got to cross your fingers for because those four foot waves getting tossed off the party boats are not fun to fish in for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. I was out there in a big pontoon boat. Yeah. Right. Like that's just it. Is that some, like there's going to be fish caught. And then from what it sounds yeah. like, there's a shit pile of big fish in that lake. So there's a ton of fish. There's a ton of small ones too. It's just a, it's a great fishery. That's, that's a booming Minnesota fishery in my opinion. That's pretty good to hear. Uh, will you be rowing? Are you going to be in your boat or Dara's boat if you do the trail? We're kind of kicking around both ideas. Um, Maybe switching. Yeah, we're we're talking about my boat for cave. Yeah, uh, that then, would be sweet. Yeah, and then Eagle River too, if we make it that far. Mm-hmm. 
but the rest of it will be in Dara's boat. But we're gonna take uh take my waypoints, put my graph on Dara's boat for for Madison probably. Mm-hmm. Has he fished there before? I think he may have. He might not have ever fished Madison. I've been trying to get him down all summer, but he he just uh it's it's pretty easy to talk me into driving north, and it's not as easy to talk him into driving south. <laughs> I'm with Dare on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these Wisconsin fisheries in the south are feel like are really picking up some steam, though. I mean, they've done a good job stocking them with not only Wisconsin, you know, river strain muskies and and all that stuff, but also they've been starting to put in some. Great Lakes spotted and some leech lakers and some of these fisheries. Yep. And I think they're, it's been kind of an interesting um, tactic, like watching how the, the, these fisheries have actually been able to survive with both strains. And I think there's probably a handful of lakes in Northern Wisconsin. You could make the argument that, you know, if a, if a Monona or Wabisa can handle leech lakers and Wisconsin strain muskies coexisting, there's, I could name a handful of Northern Wisconsin lakes that I feel like could support that as well. And I, I don't, I'm talking from a little bit of a novice point of view, but I feel like that could be an interesting thing to introduce to Leachers Northern Wisconsin the chain. as well. Leachers yeah, on no. the chain. <laughs> no, you're, <laughs> yeah. you get, you get the dead end. so many petitions <laughs> saying I'm no just way. Kidding, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely some lakes up there that don't have any muskies at all at all that I would love to see leechers in. There's some Cisco lakes that don't have have any muskies, and it would just be so sick to have 55-inch leechers in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, like, shit, these northern Wisconsin Cisco lakes that do have muskies in them, I mean, we've seen how fat. tough they are, yeah, how <laughs> oh, fat they get, how oh, big yeah, they get, yeah. how tough they are to catch, and I, mean, I don't yeah, want to... Yeah generalized but i you know i think it's kind of well known that leechers are a, a little bit easier to maybe fool than a than a wisconsin yeah. am i gonna make people mad by saying that but they're uh, a little more likely to eat a long stroked bulldog than they are was than wisconsin fish are yeah so you can't just go rip rubber through the weeds in minnesota and, and get them to bite that's for sure I I maybe we see. just suck i don't know but <laughs> Not Gus and you, but you know, <laughs> Brian and I, we've had a tough time on clear water. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have too. Those northern Wisconsin Cisco lakes, I love to fish them, but they just kick my ass every time. Have you fished uh, Geneva much? That's one that I was just thinking it would be sick if the PMTT went there. Yeah. I think it, maybe in a couple of years, once it gets a little bit more steam, but. Yeah, I I fished it this spring. Uh, we had a, just an awful day out there, but it, I that was one of the lakes that I was kicking around this weekend for my birthday, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was thinking maybe a maybe a big old sisker send for the end of the year. But... What's what's the word been down by you on Geneva? Is it like a crown yeah. jewel yet, or what? There's definitely some uh, some wild rumors going around, and a lot of people being real hush hush about it. And then, I, and then a couple guys kind of blew it up, and we're we're like, yeah, the fishing's awesome down here. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome. <laughs> I I haven't experienced it, but I I want to get down there again, super bad. My boat is not conducive to that. I mean, yeah, is, I was gonna say, is it really hard of, of a lake to fish? Isn't it just super deep and clear and it's huge. Wide open. I mean, it's so big and wide open, and like, there, it, yeah, 
it's a tough one. I remember looking at the map and just being like, yeah, I mean, I guess they're like, that's where they should be, but that doesn't <laughs> look like a mafia spot. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, as we talked about in the boat on Saturday, like, you could literally, you know, give somebody a map of a, a big clear body of water, at least in northern Wisconsin, and be like, here's where the fish are. Um, go have fun if you want to go try to catch them, I guess. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's not always the easiest. I mean, there are certain times of year where I feel like, like if, you know, you're Gus and you're up there and fishing every day, you kind of get a little bit more dialed into, like, when you can actually access, you know, access these fish. But, yeah, it's... uh they're they're tricky it's totally new element for sure yeah i love that clear water because you can see everything but yeah those fish are not friendly super not friendly yeah i'm sure they also like it for the same reason they see the boat yeah. and they're like yeah no nope, never mind <laughs> no yeah. cast the first like <laughs> 10 casts that i took in a cisco lake in northern wisconsin i had a mid 40s up that was just white hot and i was like oh hell yeah I love this. I'm going here every day and I'm going to pummel them. And I have never caught a muskie on that lake. <laughs> that sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. 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 I'm finding out it's not easy growing up mainly no. fishing more stained waters and uh, last two to three years branching out to clear water. And it's like, oh boy, this is a different yeah. animal and figuring out when and where. I mean, it seems like. November is not a bad time to go for sure to these fisheries because, you know, Cisco spawn and all that. But that's why we were toying around with the. This. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was talking about this with you, Gus, that uh, getting out there early, like in the springtime and finding where they spawn always kind of gets me on track to follow them for the rest of the year. It's like, oh, if I can identify where they're going to spawn, then I can be like, all right, well, if they they spawn here, they're probably not going to go that far. They're going to go over to this main, like, reef or point or whatever in the summer. And, mm -hmm. yeah, actually, the, the best time that I've had fishing Cisco Lakes up north, not that I've had a ton of success, is, like, August, September. Like, when everyone else is catching them in the weeds on those stained lakes they're they're doing like the same stuff on the cisco lakes maybe not quite as like stupid shallow and sloppy but um we contacted right. a, that first day that i was out there when i had that sweet fish up on that cisco lake um it was like august 23rd or something and yeah we had uh like six fish up that day one of them was low 50s and then the next day it was uh storming in the morning and all cloudy and moody and like one of those classic august cold fronts and we went right back on that huge fish and i threw a fly at her and she ate it and i just biffed it like super biffed oh, it no yeah and uh yeah so i kind of i'm intrigued i didn't do it this year i went out once and i and actually i i went out once and had i went oh for three so you know that that august september time frame is kind of intrigues me for those clear lakes up there was that throwing like some big rubber or did you incorporate blades into any of that i was doing a combo there was rubber with blades on it yeah there you go <laughs> but, uh, i was i was throwing a the one that got eaten that day two baits got eaten that day i had a, a boo tube with the colorado blade on the back and then mm. a um a reg medusa 
with a small Colorado blade off the back hook hanger, which was nice. total random. Mod. Random Mod. The, the mods out. Yeah, yeah, tweaking. Yeah. Fiddling. But, yeah, no, that was an open water day. That was I was telling you boys about that when I um, saw Jensen out there. I, I side-imaged all my good spots and didn't find anything and drove across the base and was like, oh, there they are. And then I pulled back to that spot after I had checked a couple others and Steve Jensen sitting there with clients. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did find them. <laughs> Probably know you're on a good good pattern if you see him pull up to your spot that you like. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I hooked one right there after he left. So <laughs> as like it's always good to see like a little validation when you're like fishing a new body water and then you see a guy like that. And I joked around with Gus when uh, we were fishing the chip off loge. I was like, you know, something kind of funny is uh, Ty and Tate Senate haven't uh, popped by any of the spots we've fished over the past few days. <laughs> yeah, I, haven't, I haven't seen them yet. I haven't really seen those guys too much. And, Only uh, at the starting line. Yeah. That's it. It's hard to see Ty and Tate, though, because they're always going 70 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. And they're just, the, the uh, Batmobile or whatever they got. Yeah. Black Lund. When we it's took off, you see that thing coming across the lake at like sunset. I, I experienced <laughs> that firsthand. I was like, are these boys going to hit us? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine taking off in a PMTT tournament and they're just literally in your prop wash. I Trying like, to get around you a, right away. Talk about like, <laughs> a great metaphor for that weekend. Like they were legitimately just running us down. <laughs> last person i'd ever want to fish against in any tournament those boys are something else yeah yeah that uh that was that was probably one of the i mean we've talked about it but that was one of the cooler things to see on that type of body of water a guy dialing a bite like that was pretty pretty yeah. cool yeah it was cool to see it was awesome to see him win on home waters like that not that i wasn't rooting for you boys but uh <laughs> he he definitely earned that one. It was he really shined in that moment. Yeah, that was cool. And I honestly I think the cool thing, I mean, just for this podcast and us being up in, in northern Wisconsin, it's like the stage should be set for a very similar type deal next year if if certain teams make that championship because they're you know, there's a handful of people that fish the trail that have Eagle River kind of three lakes areas like their home. Yep. you know water and if those teams make it, it, it it'll be very interesting to kind of see how it plays out because that's a body of water where a guy from kentucky that makes a championship could go up there and just crush it or it could yep. be somebody that is you know near and dear to that body of water that is dialed in it just i don't know i think it, it'll be a fun championship venue for sure yeah i think that also those home bodies of water are also the easiest place to choke Oh it's, yeah, Big yeah. Uh, when I saw that Madison was back on the docket, I was like, "No, oh, <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna roll out there and I'm not even gonna see one." <laughs> like, <laughs> Why do you think that is? I think you just get in your head. You over, yeah. you over it's like they should be doing this. They should be doing. This. You just gotta go. Like today, when I was out on the Madison chain, it was I fished spots that I've never fished before. And I actually had some success and it was, it was a little refreshing because I do go pound to the same spots that I always fish. 
And I went and checked those spots and I didn't see anything. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to fall into that trap today. And it, and it kind of worked, but yeah, you just got to go out there every day and fish it like you're fishing a new body of water. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said about the reluctancy to change when you're on your home body of water. I mean, yep. Brian and I saw that fishing uh, a local tournament this summer that we're, we're going to get some redemption on next year. I think yeah. Brian and I are going to team up yeah. again for that tournament. I, I was telling Gus, I was like, if we all have that weekend open again, I'm like, Brian and I are taking out the old 16 foot Ranger and we're going to hit it again. <laughs> Gus is going to have to go find another partner. Cause Brian and I need a little, little redemption on that. If we get a uh, number one boat in the running order too, man, that's going to be classic. I hope I get number two. Re- oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We're chucking three lakes over. We've started the tournament started at seven. I don't think we had baits in the water until seven forty-five every day. <laughs> Drive as far as you can from the starting point. Yeah, yeah. That that might have been our uh you know, I don't think we were too strategic during that weekend wow. and probably came back to bite us a little bit. But, the uh, best way to go musky fishing is to be as not strategic as possible. <laughs> yeah. We we <laughs> were make his mark and throw things at things. Yeah. <laughs> We were just dialed in on going back to our A1 spots, three lakes over. I think next year we just peel off to a random shoreline. I mean, we can't have worse luck than last year, so. Yeah, I'm down. Maybe just go fish, like, one of the lakes that we've spent three minutes on and just, yeah. go, around, just go around and pitch at docks. I mean, I know you'd be in your your happy place. If Post we did up that. on Voyager. It's a nice little wave pool. <laughs> <laughs> My PMTP tactic is just go fish every boat ramp on every lake. <laughs> you might be onto something there, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, boys, uh, anything else you uh, want to ask Rowan while we have him? He's been very, uh, very generous with his time. I've, I've noticed that. Have you, have you gotten through any of those bush lights over there? I can't, I can't tell which one's one, two or three. I haven't touched the bush. I've really been uh, enjoying the maker's mark over here. There you go. Yeah. You got to let those bush lights heat up a little bit. Yeah. They're better <laughs> when they taste like tea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Gus, Brian, you got anything? That's it on my end. Yeah. I think that's it. So, yeah, Rowan, thank you so much for hopping on the pod tonight. We had a blast chopping it up. Some super educational stuff, some a little out there. A little off the rails. Hope yep. the, uh, <laughs> I hope the listeners really enjoyed this one because I had a blast doing this one. So thank you so much for yeah. coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. And thanks for coming down and fishing with me this weekend. Yeah, oh, we'll yeah. Uh, we'll have we'll have to get you up to Vilas County next summer. Um, we do typically in the the last few years we've done a musky bender. We call them weekends twice. I mean, hopefully we'll be able to do that again. We th- we tossed around some ideas. We got like a group of like six or seven dudes would be fun to kind of add to it and see where it goes. And the whole purpose of it is to kind of go and explore and try to fish some new waters in Vilas County. And with the idea, I guess, is like to have that many people doing it that eventually somebody's going to kind of figure something out and share information. So if we could add another boat to that, uh, yeah, me and D-Rob will come up. Hell yeah. That'd be awesome. That would be yeah, a lot of fun week. to to do that. And we've also <laughs> kicked around the idea of doing the fall one potentially and on the Chippewa yeah. flowage as well. So, um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, 
That'd so. be a dream. All right, man. Well, yeah, it was a it was a real <laughs> pleasure. Had a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, boys. You wanna yeah. wanna drop your info, your guide info for how people can get in touch with you and and book a trip as well. Yeah, I probably should do that. Uh, Rowan Stam <laughs> on on Facebook and Instagram always probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. And then uh, you can always text or call 608-381-5524. If you call me, I probably won't answer, but if you leave a message, I'll call you back. Sweet. Thank you so much for coming on and look forward to uh, speaking with you again. Hopefully see you at the show season and, and yeah. Yep. Well, that was an awesome interview. Had a blast chatting with Rowan. Um, some pretty good little nuggets in there on top of, uh, you know, some just good old fashioned musky chop. Um, Brian, I'll start with you tonight on what we learned from Rowan and the interview. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway? Uh, probably that Rowan liked to be a giant musky that just crushes ducks in front of people. Uh, a little bit <laughs> jealous of that. I'd love to do that as well. But uh, no, I'd I'd love to continue to talk to him about fly fishing tactics. I'd like to get out and fish with him on the fly. The, what is that? What's that fly called, Gus? The pig or whatever? The river pig. River pig. Yeah. River pig. I yeah. I've seen. I think I've seen those, but I've never. I mean, I don't have one. I just have a bunch of like glide bait type flies. So might be something I look into if we start fly fishing more next year. Yeah, it looked like it. Or it seemed like it went really well with some sort of medium sink line like he was talking about and it had that little like 45 bend in the the hook eye so you can so the hook always rides up which is why it's good to drag low and oh, it was okay. relatively uh easy i mean i probably i snagged with it for sure when i was using it but i was keeping it deep and everything like that and it was easy to you know take out of the snag how, how long was it the fly yeah um, probably about a foot or so it was probably 10 to 14 That's inch a big fly. fly jeez yeah 10 12 i'd say probably i <laughs> i could be kind of forgetting i think you can make them different sizes i'm not sure if there's a specific one size fits all river pig fly i'm sure the original is a certain size but yeah that's that's a good one sweet gus what was your biggest takeaway uh combined with just fishing with rowan in general i learned a lot about rivers and like spots that they sit a little bit about current uh the fact that he really likes to kind of it seems like he really relies on side image and side image only for the most part like he likes to just go through some of the holes or some of the sections near a lot of wood or some like rock rock gravel areas and just side image out suckers like he's looking for schools of suckers like that's the big thing um i mean like i said you know when we're fishing down down south we had all that shad and stuff too we're trying to fish through that i mean there's times where i was casting in every other cast i was snagging shad i uh i could like feel my lure just like pumping through just giant schools and that's insane i'm like this has got to trigger one but at the same time like these dumb things are belly on the bottom and not moving. It's Old 33 stomachs. degree water that's past full moon, not even to new moon yet. And yeah, I learned that rivers are dope and we definitely have to fish rivers more and 
at some point get some sort of cool river boat that's going to be way down the line but you know that's the other thing is you kind of need a rig to get into some of these types rivers north and south and you know even in like the eastern you know if you want to go just go fish kentucky or or ohio or something like that those you need you probably need like a jet boat you know a jet yeah, what, what about bottom what about selling your ranger engine and getting a just an old jet engine and, uh, that'd be uh that would be a good idea. Mm. Brian. <laughs> Brian. What you Brian? want tonight? Hey, oh. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. All right, Max, what did you learn tonight with Rowan? I would say not as much what I learned, but my my takeaway that I appreciated the most was just another young dude that's just like obsessed with musky fishing. You know. Right on. Then yeah guiding for a few years when fishing since he was a kid is willing to kind of do these, you know, crazy weekend trips and drive all around the state of Wisconsin and into Minnesota and everywhere else to chase these things and learning new water. And I think just meeting people like that feel like kind of gets you fired up and, you know, just meeting like-minded people is awesome. Um, all right. So Gus, you, um, you winterized the boat before you headed down to Madison uh, your guide season is over. Congratulations on a fantastic year. However, one last highlight of the season happened for you last weekend. Talk us through it because this fish got a lot of a lot of good pub on the old socials. I know it was a big fish as far as, you know, it, it was a big fish for you, you know, as far as something you wanted to accomplish this year. Um, you set out to it. You grinded your ass off this November and you got it done on the you know what second to last day of your season so let's hear about it man talk us through it yeah thank you the season was amazing and i mean i couldn't ask for a better way to end it and first first off for sure i want to just say this to all the people that have reached out to me for me posting that fish was truly incredible just seeing all the support from you guys and and uh, uh that was just really cool to see and i'm uh I'm kind of at a loss of words for that. I wasn't really expecting that. I also wasn't expecting that fish. I mean, like a half was been, you know, expecting to, you know, hopefully run into a big one this fall. And at the same time, I was just like, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You know, it can't happen every year, maybe two years in a row in November, just can't find a pig. And then all of a sudden one, one year we get back into one, but that was, that was a truly special fish. Cause I was able to spend, that time with with dad in the boat and he's really been a, a big time trooper he's been out a lot this fall with me and we've been trying some comfort bites you know getting some fish to go losing some fish here and there and then there's some times where i'm kind of taking them out on some wild goose chases some you know hunches as they like to call them and and you know that's tough when it's 35 degrees and he's got to bundle up and you know tackling these quote-unquote hunches it's kind of tough to do that in, you know a three-hour window or something like that days are short maybe you don't want to get out for the whole day it's cold it's tough to get out there before it's you know gets above freezing but yeah I definitely just want to say that first is that he is an absolute trooper and I'm really I'm just really excited that he was there to not only just net it help me net it you know that would have been a shit show if it was on my own if that happened 
on my sure. own and uh but just to be there in general uh it was a truly special moment but super cool. yeah we we went to a lake that i have had on my radar and <clears throat> it's it's just it was one of those lakes that i so i've never musky fished it but i have you know the asterisks on that is i've driven my boat on it <clears throat> and uh prior to the season opener and i brought some you know, bass and walleye rods. I didn't have any luck doing that. I saw, you know, a couple bass in the shallow water, but they didn't want to eat, but I'm like, I was just super intrigued by the lake right away. I'm like, this is a really cool lake. You know, I could see us definitely coming back and tick, tick, tick. We went through May, June, July, August, September, October, still never made it back to that lake. And it just dawned on me that it's like, oh, it's, you know, there should be some Cisco's popping just as, you know, X, Y, Z, like all these other lakes. I'm like, let's just, I'm like, let's just go try it. You know, I still don't, all my knowledge there was just driving around the lake, you know, one and a half times. And that's pretty much it. And, uh, <clears throat> we rolled up to just troll and troll only and just cover ground and kind of just look for some key structures and, and find the bait. And we had no troubles finding the bait right away and and there was you know cisco pods and pods of various other baits that were probably perch or something like that out there in the open water a little bit and some close to the break lines and through the afternoon we, we didn't get out there until like one or so i think 12 45 one and i think we side imaged three you know hazy marks that or maybe four you know, three of them were more relatively in the same area. One was way on the other side of the lake when we were kind of going over there. And we didn't get anything to go. It was bright and sunny, uh, fairly windy, but, you know, there wasn't very much for cloud cover in the clear water. Always, you know, makes me skeptical on a bite. Man, it, it the sun dipped on that tree line and and we noticed the bait was getting tighter to the to the brake lines, the uh, the Cisco's actually started popping on the surface, doing a couple dolphin dives out there. You know, you could see them in like our prop wash, like jumping behind our lines, which is pretty wild. And started to get cold real fast. It was above freezing that day, but you know, sun just touched the tree line and it dropped below freezing for sure. And and I was cold. I don't even. I didn't even ask dad how cold he i'm sure he was probably a little bit cold and <laughs> and uh just being a trooper and not saying anything and letting me just do my thing i guess and i I was gonna i really wanted to call it at like four to four ten or so because nothing was happening i mean we sighted those fish relatively early and just nothing out in deeper water too still close to the break lines and I'm like, let's run this. I'm like, let's just run this last shoreline. Why not? It's, you know, we'll pass two of the four marks that we waypointed. And I'm like, let's just, the Cisco's are popping on the surface. So screw it. Let's just get the baits up like stupid high, like compared to what we've been running, like 10, 12, 15 feet down. Like, let's just put them up to like five, six feet down or something like that. And just run as close as I can to the break line without getting junk on the baits and I got junk on the baits a few times had to clear the inside rod off and as we're legitimately approaching the last waypoint you know maybe if we didn't catch a fish there I would have went 
50 yards past it and been like, all right, we're done. I kind of make a wrong turn into it and realize I'm going right up into shallow water. Like we're in just a little deeper water and we just go right up into it. And I'm like, ah, shoot. And I was trying to kind of like pull away and I'm like, I think quote unquote, I I didn't post the video yet. Maybe I will by the time this comes out, but I want to post that uh, head cam footage of the catch. I'm like, hopefully that's a muskie. Or I think that I say something like that's a muskie. I'm like, I hope it eats before we, you know, the baits ram into these weeds and we're just Mm -hmm. like screwed. We're done. And, and, uh, and the, uh, the rod behind me goes off. I kind of barely hear it because I got a lot of layers on and hood up and stuff. And, and I go to grab it and feels pretty good. I guess I'd say, I don't know. I mean, it had some pretty big head shakes to start. I didn't really think anything of it. The mark didn't look anything crazy on side image. Cause I think I was spanning out, you know, fairly far and it just looked like a normal musky mark. And, uh, and then when I got close to the boat, it dove under the engine a little bit, did a nice little run down there. And I, I was on the, the old Abu round reel, 15 year old, 6,500 on hmm. a medium heavy rod with 30 pound mono and a homemade wire leader. And <laughs> crushing a, a freaking eight inch jointed depth raider the old classic perch color shout out book shout out <laughs> book daddy for making just a freaking uh, killing uh killer trolling lure that thing is that thing has been money and uh i know before that dad was joking around it's like should we just run two depth raiders i'm like nah we gotta get out like a grandma or a jake or something like that yeah get one of the expensive ones get your money's worth yeah maybe <laughs> yeah. throw out like yeah a matlock or yeah maybe like one of the candies that i got or something like that it's like, <laughs> we gotta give those a try too but no i ate the jointed plastic depth raider crushed it had it t-boned and uh that's when i saw that i had t-boned i think that was the first words out of my mouth before big fish was like oh it's got a t-boned and i say big fish or whatever because it's on the surface now thrashing and you know dummy cold water so that thing is kind of like slow motion thrashing and i can kind of force it and told dad to get the net in the water and i just kind of dragged it right in and it acted like a a big docile fish for a second there thankfully (laughs) it was crazy it's how like the fish is like going in slow-mo when it's head shaking it's like (laughs) and then it would kind of swim and do do and it was just really cool and a little girl scream for the celebration uh there was a nice little holy shit i knew you caught your you would catch your pv tonight from dad (laughs) oh that's big i'm like that's really big i don't no no girl screaming i was more in shock and cold yeah, you guys both looked like you're like did that just like you guys both like your head cam panned over to dad and he's just looking at you like did why that, did that that just does that just happen <laughs> yeah it's like what there's just i mean you've no been way. on like <clears throat> you've been on like your tom gelb shit lately i mean you you've had some good days this november but like we've been pretty transparent about it it's been tough on a lot of days especially oh, as sure. the season's gotten especially as it's kind of gotten into this end of the part of the year and so like I mean, you had days upon days before you got that that bite, like the one you were really looking for. Oh yeah, um, and we got good fish this November and October. I mean, we had we got some low forties and you know a couple in the mid forties, but you know that upper forties just never really showed herself. I mean, I think we got a few to move early October, but 
once the fish stop following, it's either they bite or they don't. And all the bites have been just not that one. So that's Mm -hmm. why that's where the shock value comes from. I'm like, what? (laughs) And so how how are you feeling with the new PB? uh, I I don't, I mean, I just feel, I don't don't know. I relieved. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I think I said in my caption, like I can, I can finally sleep this winter. Cause I've just yeah. days with nothing and then losing some fish this November. And I'm like, this would happen. That'd been your villain way. arc going into next year. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It would be. <laughs> yeah. Stay y'all better watch out. If that, if that, now that that fish is like, what is, what does our buddy Jack like to say? And now we're just, we're just fishing for fun now. Yeah. Nah, I'm just yeah. And now you can just chill next year. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That is not, I'm going to be fishing just as hard to get that feeling again, for sure. But uh, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's cool, man. Yeah, is that thing? Uh, are you waiting on the mount, or is that one getting the mount? Uh, that'd be a cool one for to have. I don't know, biggest trolling fish PB of of right now. Just a thick November fish, full of that was fat as hell, full of food. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I think that would be a cool one for sure. It would be cool to start getting mounts. So hard to. We don't have any mounts so hard to, or anything. Yeah. I mean, it'd be cool to get one in there, but it's so hard to like decide what fish is like a worthy mount. Cause like you always just think like, ah, I might catch a bigger one next year. You never know. And then I'm going to want to mount that. Yeah, I, I know. know. I hear game. you there. That is tough. I mean, more, I just, I don't know. I just like, yeah. I think you put in enough work for that to be a mountable uh, fish. AO, the, but The yeah. effort and the story helps you know on a fish as well because maybe maybe it's not i mean obviously it's not the freaking biggest fish ever but you know it's my biggest oh, yeah. ever and it's a freaking it's a jumbo i mean that thing was it was hard to hold i couldn't feel it my hands are about to fall off if you look in the <laughs> for those who are still listening this far into the podcast if you look look at the picture my uh my left hand the one holding the belly my knuckles are white from lack of the blood poop flow. slushy no lack of blood flow those hands were so numb because i had to get the get the lure out of its mouth it had it t-boned and you know dad was in there with the oh that's spreaders. not oh yeah wow no that's just straight up that's white knuckle in it right there <laughs> dang yeah it's a little scary because wow. you know it had me cut up a little bit and i couldn't feel it and after i released <laughs> it there's kind of like I, I saw blood dots on just the most random spots of the boat. I'm like, who's bleeding? I'm like, oh, it's me. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, it's a hell of a way to cap off a, a great season for you. Thanks, man. I Yeah. Again, truly appreciate awesome. all the all the message, th- you know, the messages from everybody and the, truly, truly thankful on that one big time. And it's only going to make me hungrier to get get a bigger one. You know, it's going to be tough yep. to beat that weight. You know, hopefully I can beat the length, but the weight is going to be tough to beat because that was a big girl. And I think in more important news, it kicked somebody off the biggest fish uh, board. Yeah. Brian, uh, not in the top Brian, you got three anymore. about that? <laughs> hey, I'm happy it was Gus. I'm happy he <laughs> earned it. Couldn't have a new better guy. Couldn't have a new better guy. Better fisherman. Uh, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just saying, 
It ain't gonna be pretty next year. You already know I'm coming for that. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because sure. if you get if you get like if you're you know you have two fish that are in the top three for all the people I guess I should have explained we we run a pretty um you know a, a, we had a big chalkboard of like everything we had going on every year and we've taken pictures for the last like five or six years and so it's kind of cool to track everything but um you know we have a, a top three biggest musky spot that's kind of out in the open that everyone that walks in the cap and sees so you know we put we put some pressure on us being on that board and you know it's just a damn shame to see an anger like brian you know fall off that number three spot and just damn shame shame. and i I feel bad you know you've you've lived on that board for the last few years and it's gonna be tough i I know i I just got complacent really that's all that was yeah that's i I mean i couldn't agree more he might be the top i mean if we give him top water front of the boat july new moon for three nights in a row he might have all three top spots so i mean yeah <laughs> shit ain't sweet then <laughs> yeah oh man well uh yeah that that's gonna be how the board will end for the year um but uh yeah no man super super pumped for you to have that be the way that this season ended it seems a little bit too storybook you know i think we kind of both were like yeah it's been a great year if we don't get that big fall one it is what it is and you know you're able to pull it out at the 12th hour which is something apparently seems like you like to do so <laughs> yeah yeah there's so many hey, what you mean so, yeah. i'm just saying you know, just, just gus got a knack for catching catching fish right before you know either it sounds like a tournament trip whatever long day you know it seems like gus is always able to grind them out yeah putting in some of those hours this november into dark i guess paid off finally <laughs> We had a lot of a lot of into dark trips this November. I'm like, what the hell am I doing out here right now? It just <laughs> got dead. But yeah, I'm just very, very thankful about that. And everyone out there, you know, reaching out, you know, sorry to bring it up again, but I just really, really thankful on that. And then, you know, the next day I was able to get in touch with uh with uh Cletus, with catching with Cletus. Uh, he, he runs a guide service up here in Vilas County. We're definitely going to get him on the podcast, but he's like, Hey, you want to come up fishing? A truck doesn't really work, but I got a boat. And I'm like, I got a truck and my boat is messy and, and frozen. So it worked out really perfectly. Actually the last day up here, got to fish with him and caught one, caught one last fish casting, which is pretty dope. You know, got above freezing and I was able to cast and got one on a tube just a little guy, a wee little guy, but that was fun. But uh, yeah, that's a wrap on the season. I'm gonna, I'm opening up the books for 2024. And if you got want to reach out to me or to book a trip or to get some merch that's left before the holidays, uh, you can reach me at www.sugsfishing.com and also find. Me and the boys on Instagram at Muskies on Tap and at Suggs Fishing. Uh, we'll be pumping out a good amount of content hopefully this winter. You know, we got some video footage to go over and, you know, little tidbits here and there to put out. And, you know, so hopefully, hopefully everybody enjoys that as we kind of, you know, get those out there here and there. And, uh, yeah, I think that does it. But, uh, you guys got anything else to add? Yeah, Gus, hold on. We gotta gotta talk about one more thing real quick. 
if anybody is still listening to this podcast by now, I do want to, you know, touch on something a little bit uh, near and dear to our hearts here in Wisconsin. That's the goddamn Green Bay Packers. Brian, will you apologize for your lack of faith in the Green Bay Packers front office? Because I think <laughs> we got ourselves a squad it is, for it here. It is crazy Dogs. how Dogs. one week can change the minds one of week. everyone. Three weeks. No, I have not seen this level of brilliant play calling from head coach Matt LaFleur at all this season until that game. I was thoroughly impressed, right? I was knocked back my seat for most of that game. I could not believe it. Uh, he let Jordan Love air it out. Jordan Love looked like a 10-year vet. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I, I just can't say enough great things about this football team. And I will uh-huh. say with, their, with the schedule that they have coming up, It'd be a damn. It'd be a damn shame if they don't win this division. It'd be a damn as a shame. as a known Packer hater. Are you? Are, when you're, I'm when a you're critic. Watching, That's I'm not a hater. I'm a critic. All right. As a known Packer hater, would you say that watching <laughs> them succeed is tough for you to tough for you to see, or do you feel any sort of enjoyment watching these these young these young? No, men? I. I I'm not a I'm 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 a Packer fan. I'm just a critic when you got all these brainwashed IR Packer fans trying to say that there's never been a wrong decision made in franchise history. Right? I'm here to shine some light when they do something wrong, make a dumb decision. Uh so no, I was very happy watching them. I'm excited to see what they do in the coming weeks. And I what they looked like last night is a team that can win a playoff game, and I did not think that two, three weeks ago. That's all I needed to hear. You know, I, I know I'm not going to get an apology out of you. It's not your thing, but uh, that's, uh, that's what I needed to hear. What right? do I need to apologize for? What? <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to pat Newquist on the back and tell we did a great job and they looked like the worst team in the league. I'm, I'm not that kind of Packer fan. <laughs> and Brian, real quick, since you are a residential uh, college football expert, um, self-proclaimed, what are your thoughts on uh, Florida State getting the boot out of the playoffs, being an undefeated squad? You know, I've had, I've thought, I've spent a lot of time and thought about this here, mm. uh, yeah, and well, I put myself in their shoes. I thought, you know, if my Buckeyes were in that position and my QB, went oh, down, your which Buckeyes, they were, huh? Which they were His about seven years ago, or coach nine years ago. Did you coach the Buckeyes before? Now. <laughs> and my Buckeyes went out and went in the national championship in 2014 with the like third string word, QB. So like I like to think I like to think that Florida State and, I, and their fans are clearly thinking that their roster is solid enough to compete with anybody in the country. Are you and coach? Should be in. Have you and, ever and, they, and that is a valid argument. But the Alabama Crimson Tide would roll. Dude, nobody's gonna win next weekend. The committee got it right. They got the four best teams in the country.